Uh, today, for the message, I want to get into the message today. We are still in our Back to the Basics series, and we are going to be going into two weeks about the Word of God, the basics about the Word of God and how important it is to have a, a steady diet, to have the Bible be a part of our daily walk of our relationship with God. I'm going to read to you today from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 4, verse 13. Now, be forewarned, this, is, uh, this can be a very confusing passage that I'm going to read. There's a lot going on here, but try to follow along, uh, and I will give an overview of it at the end here. So it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts." For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. 
So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What is going on here? If you are confused, I do not blame you. There is a lot going on here. There are definitely a few things that are repeated. Now, if you've been, if you've been paying attention and tracking, you'll notice that a certain things were repeated again and again. One of them being, um, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Another one being the rest, the Sabbath rest of God. We see these two themes, the hardening of the heart, not to let that happen, and the Sabbath rest of God as something to be pursued, being talked about again and again and again. That's the theme that's going through this passage. Now, just to give a real big picture overview of what's happening here, hopefully this helps make this passage a little bit more um, uh, um, synthesized here. What was happening here first is the Israelites were in the wilderness. So think about that. Now, actually, before this, let me go step back one step further. The first rest that the Bible talks about here is God resting from his work of creation. God created the universe in six days, and he rested on the seventh. Now, there are a lot of different views about what exactly that means. I personally don't believe that they were 24-hour days, but there's been a lot written about this. But the main point is God created the whole universe, and then he rested from his work. His work of creation was completed. That was the first Sabbath rest of God. Now the author of Hebrews goes on and he talks about how the Israelites, they were brought out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery by Moses. And they were in the wilderness, in the desert. Now they weren't meant to stay there. What was supposed to happen was they were supposed to go into what's called the promised land. Currently today, the land of Palestine. God said that that is the promised land. That will be the place where you experience rest. You experience a country, a place of your own. So he said to them, go there to the promised land and you will experience rest. Now, this promised land was supposed to be a place of rest for the people, but it was not the ultimate final rest. It was just rest in a symbolic way. There was a deeper, more complete rest that the Bible was pointing to that the promised land actually only symbolized in physical form, and that rest was the new heavens and the new earth. That is the rest that will take place when Jesus returns at his second coming that we, the church, are still waiting for today. When Jesus returns at the second coming and there is no more sin, There is no more pain. There there are no more tears that will be shed. There is no more sickness and death. 
That is the final, final rest that we are all called into. And that if you believe in the Jesus who died upon the cross and who was raised from the grave for you, that is a rest that we will all enter into one day. That is the final, final rest. Now, there were some problems here, and the author of Hebrews talks about this, that happened. Now, these Israelites, as you can see from maybe this diagram here, there's a lot of wandering around in circles. And that's actually a pretty good picture because it represents what was happening to the Israelites. They were in the wilderness, and they were supposed to go to the promised land, but because they didn't listen to God's voice, they ended up all dying out in the wilderness. Oh. And press next. There we go. That's what I was working so hard to try to make this little tombstone come up. These Israelites, they wandered out in the wilderness and they died out there because they didn't listen to the voice of God. Now remember the author of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like they did. And they ended up dying out in the wilderness. Well, how did they harden their heart to God's voice? God said, trust me. God said, I'm going to bring you into a land of, of, of milk and honey. God said, I'm greater than the gods of Egypt. You can trust me. And what did they say? What did they do again and again and again? Did you bring us out here, Moses, to kill us in the wilderness? What are we going to drink? There's no water. They didn't trust that God would provide them water. What are we going to eat? There's no food. Oh my gosh, we should go back to Egypt so we could eat all the food that we wanted to back then. They were deluded. They didn't trust God to provide food for them. When God gave them manna, they complained about it. They said, we're so sick of this miraculous food that God is giving to us out in the desert. We're so tired of it. When God brought them into the promised land, he sent 12 spies out there and they came back. And two of them said, it's a good land, let's go. And 10 of them said, we're so scared. We can't go in there. The people are so big. They're at least six inches taller than us. And the people of Israel listened to those 10 people and said, we're scared. We can't go in there. Moses, why did you bring us out here to die at the hands of these people? They didn't trust in the God who literally brought the plagues down upon Egypt, split the Red Sea so that they could walk out. They didn't trust him. They didn't listen to his voice. So they died out there in the wilderness. All the adults died. Only those who were young, the children led by Joshua and Caleb, were able to go into the promised land. So for all the adults, the wilderness became their graveyard. They didn't make it into the promised land. Now, remember I said that this promised land is symbolic. It's not the final promised land. It's symbolic of the ultimate promised land. Now, for us, Jesus, he came sometime in between this Old Testament promised land and before the new heavens and the earth. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, sometime during this stretch. He came and he died upon a cross for the sins of all those who would believe in him, and he was raised again from the grave. He was resurrected so that anybody who believes in him would be able to have this eternal life, this final rest of God. Now, this is the period that the church is also existing in. That's us. 
That's, that's us here today. If you are a believer, we're a part of the church, and the church is in this in-between stage right now. We're not in the Old Testament. Jesus has not yet returned. We are in this church age. We are in what the Bible refers to as the last days. But the author of Hebrews tells us, be careful to heed the voice of God, to not give in to the deceitfulness of sin, because if you do, you also may not make it. Oh, that one worked really well. You also may not make it as well. You may die and not enter into the new heavens and the new earth. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You know, I don't, maybe, you're not, maybe you're not a Christian and, and one thing that holds you back is you say, Christianity, it's so ridiculous. They believe that if you, if you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, what he did for you, your sins are forgiven, and then you get to go to heaven. I mean, that's, that's so ridiculous. So you just believe in God and that's it? And then you go and do whatever you want for the rest of your life? That's your religion? Absolutely not. If that's what you think, it is absolutely not like that. The author of Hebrews says here that Christianity is not... It's not like a golden ticket that gets you into, you know, like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Oh, as long as I have this golden ticket, I can get in. I believe in Jesus. I have this golden ticket. I go do whatever I want. And one day when I die and then Jesus returns, I show him this golden ticket and he'll let me into heaven. That's not what it is. Christianity is not a golden ticket into heaven. Christianity is a race that must be run to the end. Christianity is a path that we cannot stray from. Christianity is, as the author of Hebrews says, a confidence that we must hold firm to the end. It is something that we need to guard within ourselves to make sure that we are walking in the faith, that we are walking with God until the very end. That is the Christian walk. And if we don't do that, we may find ourselves on the other side of the kingdom of heaven. They died in the wilderness because, as the Bible says, their hearts were hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And in the same way, our hearts can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does it mean for our hearts to be hardened? It means that sin comes... And sin whispers to you what it wants you to believe. And every time you believe it, it hardens your heart against the voice of God, against the truth of God. Every time you believe the voice of sin and its deceitfulness, your heart gets harder to what God says to you, his voice and his word. Every single time we choose to believe the sin, the flesh, the world, we harden our hearts and it becomes more difficult for us to hear and to respond to the voice of God. John Piper, he said this. He said, sin whispers through the desires of the flesh and the rationalizations of the mind. Your only hope of future happiness is to have an abortion. It whispers that you will not have a chance in the future if you don't cheat on this test. It says that you won't be noticed and liked if you don't dress provocatively. 
It says you will lose the one person who seems to care for you if you don't compromise your sexual standards. It says you won't have a job, you won't have job security if you speak up about the dishonest practices at work. It says your life will be wasted in this relationship if you don't get a divorce. It says that only a fool would go on looking weak instead of getting some kind of revenge. It whispers to you. It wants to deceive you. And every time we buy it, our heart gets more hardened against the voice of God. And we stray a little bit more. We wander a little bit more. We get a little bit further off the path of walking with God. There are many things that whisper to me. Sin whispers to me in many different ways every day. For me, sin whispers things like this. Ulysses, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to give them a comfortable life, to not deprive them of any material things and to prepare them to be successful in this world. Sure, it'd be nice if they were godly, but not at the expense of these other things. Sin whispers to me, you can't trust God when it comes to your financial future. Well, what's that saying? God helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible, but sin will whisper it to you. Sin whispers to me, you don't really need to be that serious about prayer and reading the Bible. Look, when you don't do it, you're fine. Life goes on. It's not such a big deal. Sin whispers to me, Ulysses, what people think of you is more important than what God thinks of you. So keep your mouth shut and don't put your faith out there. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth what people may say. It's not worth what people may think of you. It's not worth the persecution, especially not here, not in the Bay Area. Sin whispers and it seeks to deceive us. And every time we buy into that, we listen to that, our heart gets a little harder. And it becomes a little more difficult for us to hear the voice of God. And, and, and our grip on our faith that we have to hold firm to the end, sin tries to pry loose one finger at a time. Maybe, maybe even today, this morning, you can feel what I'm talking about. You can feel your heart hardening, you can feel yourself straying. Maybe you used to care more. Maybe there was a time in your life you just, you cared more about God than you do now. And if you're honest and you looked at yourself, you looked at your heart, if you were honest about it, you would know that your heart has been hardening. You would feel like you've been straying. I used to care a lot about, about God's standards for sexual purity. I used to say, man, you know, that needs to be reserved for marriage and marriage alone. But now you find yourself compromising those standards and finding a way to rationalize it and to be okay with that. Maybe you used to care more about your time and it used to concern you when you gave so much of your time to, to work or to other things and you saw other idols popping up in your life that were taking the place of God. But now lately... It's not as big of a deal. And you say, well, what can I do? Life is just busy. Life is just hard. 
I'm married. I got kids. And we find ways to rationalize those things. And we find ourselves caring less than we used to. If, if you know that, if you can be honest and you see that in your heart, brothers and sisters, the author of Hebrews says, be careful because sin deceives. It slowly seeks to harden your heart. And the end goal of sin, of the devil, of the world system, is for us to not make it to the end, to not be able to complete this race. I know maybe you're there and you're thinking, Ulysses, that's not possible. I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. When I came out of my mother's womb, I shouted, hallelujah. I used to pray like this, my hands up. When I used to sleep like this. My parents said, I was, I was like, hallelujah, right? Your parents tell you like that when you're sleeping like this? They're saying, oh, you were praising God, right? Maybe some of you grew up in a Christian home. Your parents told you that. As long as you can remember, I've been going to church. It's been such a, a, an integral part of my identity. There's no way that could happen. Brothers and sisters, it happens. It happens. And this is why the Bible says we need to run the race and hold firm our confidence. I don't know if you've been listening to that, um, the podcast that everybody's been listening to in the Christian world, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you guys have been listening to that, I, probably a lot of people here have. I've been listening to it, all of it. It's been pretty riveting, very, very interesting to say the least. And it's, um, you probably, if, you've, if you don't know, if you haven't listened to podcasts, podcast, it's about the story of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, about its rise in its fall. And it was a mega church and all this kind of stuff that was going on. But there was one uh, kind of bonus episode in there uh, about a man named Joshua Harris. Now, if you, if you don't know who Joshua Harris is, he wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And I, he, was a, he was like, a, I think he was 18 or 19 or something, maybe 20 years old when he wrote that book. And he became a bestseller. And it swept through the Christian world. I remember when I was in college, I remember reading that book, maybe even earlier than college. I can't remember. I'm getting old. But I remember reading that book. I remember talking about it with other people. It just swept through like the evangelical Christian world. It was huge. It was huge. And Joshua Harris uh, not only wrote that book, but he went on to become a pastor, pastor of a mega church, Covenant Life Church um, out in, in Gaithersburg. And, and he was a, you know, a big name. He was a, he was a pastor. He was a Christian author. He wrote a book that I read that influenced me um, all this stuff, but if you've kept up with things, a few years ago, Joshua Harris came out on Instagram, I believe it was, and said, I am no longer a follower of Jesus. He renounced his Christian faith. He renounced it. He said that he was, he was wrong about it. Brothers and sisters, it happens. And, and, and if you think that, ah, I've been going to church for a long time. If you think that makes you safe. My parents were Christians. I was raised in a Christian home. If you think that makes you safe. If an, if an internationally acclaimed author at the age of 19 or however young he was and who was a pastor of a mega church can one day say, I'm not going to finish this race. I'm dropping out. Let us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. I bet quite a few of you you have a friend, you, ha you know somebody who maybe at one point in your life you were running this Christian race with, that you were walking together, you were maybe even serving in church, but now this day you look at them and you wonder, 
if they know Jesus anymore. Or maybe they've come out and they've said to you, I don't believe in that anymore. I've had that happen to me. I bet many of you have had that happen to you as well. We need to run this race to the end. Sin is deceitful. If it wasn't, the author of Hebrews would not tell us to be careful and warn us. What do we do about the deceitfulness of sin? What do we do if you feel your heart, even this morning, you, you feel yourself in that place where you're like, Ulysses, I, I can relate to that. I, I feel like, yeah, I don't have that passion that I once did. I've lost my first love, like it says in Revelation. I just don't care like I used to. I'm kind of going through the motions. There is more sin entering into my life. I am wandering in different ways. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm even on the brink and I feel like I don't know how long I'm going to hold on to my faith. What do I do? Well, the author of Hebrews here, he gives us two solutions. The first one I'm going to touch on a little bit. The second one I'll touch on a little bit more. The first one is this. Right here in this verse, he says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin What's one thing that we can do to guard our hearts, to protect our hearts? He says to exhort each other daily. What, what does it mean to exhort? To exhort means it's kind of like to encourage or to challenge with some oomph. Like, I exhort you, not just like, I hope you will, I encourage you. It's kind of like a, hey, come on, let's go, you can do it, I can do it, let's do it together for Jesus to exhort each other. What he's talking about is, is, is community group, right? Small group, what we do when we gather together. That's what he says we need to do. We need to come and, and we need to grab a hold of each other and say, brother, sister, hey, don't let sin harden your heart. Pursue Jesus. We need to be able to get in each other's face in a loving way and say, hey, I've noticed that you, you're not walking with God the way that you used to. I've noticed that there's sin in your life that didn't used to be there, and it seems like your, your heart has become hardening. Brother, sister, what's going on? We need to exhort each other. And he says daily, as long as it is called today, and it's always called today, we need to exhort each other regularly. Brothers and sisters, is that what we do when we come together, when we eat together, when we come to community group, when we spend time together? We need to exhort each other. Not, not, not just talk about the, the latest Bond movie or, or Squid Game or, or whatever it is that we're, we're talking about when we're always together, but we need to get together and we need to say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. God is worth it. Sin isn't worth it. No, sexual immorality is not worth it. Lying is not worth it. The, the, loving the world and materialism, it's not worth it. God is worth it. We can do it. Let's run this race together. We need to exhort each other. Brothers and sisters, if our conversation is not filled with exhortation, let us go back to our conversations and let us commit to exhorting each other. Because when we do that, something happens. If you come and exhort me, God will work through you and will chip away at the hardening of my heart. Like, like sin is like 
water that is icing over. When I, when I listen to it, my heart gets hardened, and it's like ice forming over my heart. But when you come and exhort me, it's like you're taking a, a pickaxe, and you, and you hit that ice, and you, you chip it, and you crack it, and you break it. You take a spoon like that creme brulee, and you smack the top of it, and you crack that sugar, right? You crack it, and then I go, oh, you're right. You're right. Thank you. Thank, would you pray with me? Would you, would you help keep me accountable? Let me share with you what's been going on in my life. That happens when we exhort each other. That is one of the ways we overcome the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers and sisters, if you see somebody falling into sin or a hardening of the heart, don't just watch that happen. Exhort someone today. Encourage them. You can walk with God. You can overcome sin. You can live the life. You can go back to your first love that you had. You can do it. And I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to run with you. Let's run together. Amen? Let us exhort each other. The second thing, back here in verses 12 and 13 again, let me read this one more time. It's the word of God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The second thing, the second thing that can break through the deceitfulness of sin and the hardness of our heart that it causes is the word of God. It's the word of God. The Israelites in the desert, they chose not to listen to God's word. They chose to ignore his voice, to not believe it. But if they had trusted in his word, they would not have been deceived by sin. But even if you've been deceived by sin, the author of Hebrews is telling us, you know what? There is something, the word of God, that can cut through that deception. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on here that we could go deep into. Like, like what do you mean dividing soul and spirit? Is there, is there soul and spirit? What's the difference between that? Is there a difference? Or we can go into that. Joints and marrow? What's he talking about there? What are the differences between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart? I mean, you can, we can go into the Greek. We could try to study these things. We could try to figure out all of these things. But I think there's one thing. If we were to just make it simple, make it simple, and I think we can agree on this, what the author of Hebrews is saying is he's saying the word of God can cut through anything, even the hardest heart. No matter how hard your heart may be, the word of God can cut through that like a hot knife through butter. A dull knife can't cut through anything. A dull knife slips off the tomato and cuts your finger. We have pretty dull knives at home. Two years ago, we went on a vacation to Japan, and we were wandering through this, uh, this uh, street market area, and there was a tour guide, and he took us to this knife shop. I think a 500-year-old knife shop, knife shop or something like that. You know, in Japan, there are things that are like 1,000 years old. It was like hundreds of years old, this knife shop. So we're like, oh, cool. Went into this knife shop, and what do you do when you walk into a 500-year-old knife shop in Japan? You buy a knife. Like, can I check this thing in? Right? You buy a knife. And we, we, we're like, oh my gosh, they're, they're, they're not cheap. But we were like, we're in a 500-year-old knife shop. 
buy a knife. Buy. We're going to go home. If you don't buy a knife, you're going to go home and go, why didn't we buy a knife? We were in a 500-year-old Japanese knife shop. So we bought a knife. It was expensive, like a $200 knife. But we bought this knife, and this is the sharpest knife we've ever owned. It is, it is so sharp. It is so well-balanced, you know. It is so light when you use it. And when we cut, it just psh, cuts right through. It's like, oh, my gosh. Our old knives were like dull rocks. It's like we were using rocks to try to cut apart things. The knife is so sharp. It just cuts right through. The author of Hebrews says, the word of God is sharper than any knife, than any two-edged sword. I've never used a sword, but a two-edged sword sounds really sharp. The author is saying, this is the sharpest thing in the world. They talk about those like nano knives, right? You can cut through stone and stuff, right? This is the sharp, this is sharper than that. The sharpest thing, sharper than any two-edged sword. The author of Hebrews says, the word of God is like that. And when it talks about soul, spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intentions of the heart, what it's saying is it can penetrate to the deepest part of you, the deepest part of your hearts, the deepest part. And it, and it can cut through the lies you tell yourself that have hardened your heart. It cuts through the excuses that you've been made and reveals them for what they are. It cuts through the, the rationalizations that you make about why you can't live for God. It cuts through all of that garbage and it gets to the heart of the issue. And it can bring us face to face with the truth of God's word so that we can say, God, I have not been living the way that you've called me to. God, my heart has been getting hard. I've been deceived, God. Forgive me. But thank you, thank you for revealing that to me. That's what the word of God does. We look at the Word of God, we say, oh, it's just the Bible. It's a book. We often, we, we look at it, we don't feel that way, right? We look at, we look at this book, we say, ah, oh, it's just a book. What, but the author of Hebrews says, it's living and active. Living and active, this book. You know, like, um, it's like, it's like yogurt. You, know, you make yogurt, you have milk, right? I haven't made yogurt, so I'm just probably lying here, but somewhere, maybe about in the ballpark, right, you got that milk, you just throw in that culture. And then you don't need to do anything. It, the culture just starts working. You come back after, I don't know, a few days or something. You got yogurt. Why? Because they're active. They're, it's alive. They're active cultures, right? That's what they call it. So even all you do is throw it in there. And because it's alive and because it's active, there is a process of transformation that's happening. And when you come back, you got yogurt. You got yogurt. The author of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active. You may think, what good does it do when I read a chapter? What good does it do when I read a book? It's living and active. Sometimes we don't even know it, but as we read it, because it's the powerful word of God and it's living and active and it's doing something, there is a process of transformation that is taking place in our hearts if we come to God's word. It is not a dead word. It is a living and active word. And there will be those times, there will be those moments when you read this and something, God just makes something so clear and it strikes you in the heart and you fall on your knees and you say, God, your truth has just hit me and I need to change my life. 
I need to come back to you. And then in the way that you were straying off the path, you get back on the path. And the finger that the devil pried loose from holding firm, firmly onto that confidence, you, you put back on and you grab a hold of it. The race that you were running and where you were slowing down, you pick up the speed again. That happens when we read the word. God uses it to prevent the hardening of our hearts. And brothers and sisters, today, if you hear my voice, not the voice of God, maybe, if God is speaking through it, if you're hearing this message, please don't harden your heart to it. Please pick up a Bible, your Bible, and read in faith, trusting that it's living and active, and it could break, cut through the hardness of your heart and break the hold of this deceitfulness of sin. Memorize it even. Store it into your heart and let God work in you. This world is constantly trying to deceive us. Constantly telling us what we should value, what we should do, and to get in line. If we don't have the word of God regularly cutting through that, how are you going to keep your heart from getting hardened? How are you going to finish this race? How are you going to keep from living, even if you finish the race, how are you going to keep from living a lukewarm, routine Christian life? Let's not harden our heart against God's word this morning. Let's say, yes, Lord, I will pick up and read. Let it work through me. Let me just share with you a few verses that do this for me. Man, when I struggle with material things, when I struggle with money and finances, when I struggle with the Bay Area and how much money there is here and how expensive things are, verses like this, they, they get me every time. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When I read that often, I go, God, you're right. Free my heart from the love of money. Teach me contentment, God, because I'm not content because I look and I see and I want and I want that for myself and I want that for my family and I want those things. Remind me that you'll never leave me and that if I have you, I have everything that I need. Man, when I read this verse, it hits me so often and it leads me to a place of repentance and prayer. Likewise, what Jesus said in the parable of the rich fool, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When I read that, I realize, God, I can be so quick to be rich towards myself, rich towards my wife, rich towards my kids. But if I am not rich towards the one who has given me all things, what a fool I am. What am I storing everything up for? It, it gets me. When the deceitfulness of sin speaks into my ear and says, church is church. Just go through the motions. Don't give it your all. Just get by. I read verses like Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. And it cuts me to the heart. No, God, that's right. This is a family. This is a family. 
I'm called not here to just attend something. I'm called to be in a family with my brothers and sisters here and to love them genuinely, deeply. God, do I love them genuinely? Do I love you guys genuinely? Or am I just doing the church thing? Am I doing the pastor thing? Am I just showing up to church? Do I love in a genuine way? God, I need so much more of your love to help me. Give me your love. Because I don't love in the way that I should. Help my love to be genuine. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I need God to speak to me like this again and again and again. And, And I guarantee you, if we come before the Lord and we consistently come before his word, even if you don't feel like it, even if you have no desire, but faith brings you there to sit and do it, that's still faith. And you come and you say, God, let this word be living and active in me and cut through all the lies. You know what you've been buying into, brothers and sisters. We all, we all do, right? We can fool ourselves in some way, but, but we know when we're living a lie. We know when we're compromising. Let us come before the word of God that it would cut through all of that and restore the passion for the Lord. I believe that there are many of you here when you're listening to this, there's something inside of you that says, I want back my first love. I know this is not it. I know I've been straying. I know my heart has been hardening. Would you come? Would you make a commitment to come before the word of God, to open it and read and say, Lord, speak to me through your precious word.